0: This is a podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Trenton, Michigan, a gospel-centered community seeking to glorify God by making, maturing, and multiplying disciples. For more information, check out fpchurch.tv.
1: Our reading this morning is in Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together to worship you. God, we thank you that you're great, that you're powerful, that you are a wonderful God who has promised to meet us here, who's promised to work through your word, to shape us and mold us, to convict us and encourage us, to make us more and more into the people that you've called us to be. Or we thank you that we can trust you in that. We thank you that we can uh, praise you together, that we can respond in gratitude and grateful hearts, with grateful hearts for all that you've done and all that we know that you will continue to do in sustaining us and keeping us. Or we also recognize that uh, Even in the midst of knowing that, the reality of life, the reality of living in a fallen and broken world, the reality of of sin and struggle, the reality of sickness, the reality of death, the reality of of tension and arguments and division between families and friends and uh, just people in general, God, all of that is around us all the time. And we desperately need you to help us in the midst of that. Lord, to encourage us, to build us up, to remind us of your faithful hand through all of it. So we do pray for those who are hurting this morning, those who are sick. We pray for uh, for you to heal them, to encourage them. We pray for those who are discouraged, for those who are anxious, who are worried, who are depressed. God, we pray that you would remind them of your goodness and of your grace in the midst of that. Lord, we pray for those divisions, for those broken relationships. We pray for restoration there, Lord. We know that you Came and lived and died and rose again so that we can be restored, so that we can be reconciled to you and to one another. So we pray for that this morning as well. God, we thank you again for this opportunity to gather, to worship you, to praise you, to hear from your word. We pray that that would happen this morning, that as Pastor Ian comes to preach, that you would apply the words from the scripture to our hearts, that you'd convict us where we need to be convicted that you'd encourage us where we need to be encouraged, and that you would shape us and make us into the church that you have called us to be. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Thank you, David. And uh, for those of you who may not know who I am, I'm Pastor Leslie, and it's my privilege to share God's word this morning. A little more than 50 years ago, my oldest brother built a family cottage on the shores of Lake Michigan, just north of Manistee. It's a beautiful site. The, the place was built on a bluff overlooking the lake, and many times we could see beautiful sunsets. But as you know, Lake Michigan and the western shore of, uh, of our state is noted for erosion. You know about the sand dunes. You know how delicate a project is and how careful one has to build. I remember years ago going up one of my first visits there. and At that time, the cottage was just a shell. And that's basically all it was. The rooms weren't completed. Little bit of electricity. The outhouse was out in the back. And my brother's goal, since he was a school teacher, was to go up every year, do a little more work, bring some folks up, like his brothers. And we always knew that there was a task to be done. His plan, his goal, was that his little cottage would ultimately be a respectable place where he could live. Remember going up there? in the early years, I think it may have been the first occasion, and looking around the site and doing a little bit of work outside and realizing as I looked at the ground, this is all sandy. And a thought occurred to me, is this the right place to build a cottage? I started to hymn, to hum a little song that I had learned in Sunday school trying to get his attention, you know. And he said, what, what's that annoying song you, you keep singing? What you? And I said, the foolish man built his house upon the sand. <laughs> of course, he didn't like it. But that little song written by Anne Omley, published in 18, or 1948, is a song which for several generations now has been a clarion call of what it means to build your life upon Jesus Christ. And millions of young children have learned that song. I even had some thoughts of doing it this morning. You know, the song even has motions to it. (laughs) But then I thought, well, an awful lot of you folks don't really know me very well. And you might think, that is one weird man up there. (laughs) But you check it out this afternoon, it's easy to Google. You'll get the song, you'll get all the stanzas, you'll get the motions. The song reminds little children that they can build their lives upon Jesus Christ. That a wise person knows that the wisest thing he can do is to claim God's promises of redemption, the forgiveness of sin, Become a new creature by the miracle of the new birth, to be born again, to have Jesus as your Savior and your Lord, and settle once and for all your eternal destiny. And you and I have the added conviction that our inheritance is permanent, that it can never be lost, it can never be taken away. And we look forward to the, one, the wonderful day when we will see the Savior face to face. It's such a simple truth that a child can not only sing that song but a child can experience the reality that the song talks about. And unfortunately and tragically even the smartest people on this planet very often will reject and deny and dismiss the promises of God and miss out completely. So the song Says, The wise man built his house upon the rock. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. So build your life on the Lord Jesus Christ. But unfortunately, if that's as far as it goes, and that is as far as it goes for an awful lot of Christians, it misses the point of the story. We need this morning to take a closer look at what Jesus was teaching here in the last paragraph of the Sermon on the Mountain. And I'm convinced that unless we understand clearly what he is saying, we will not be able to apply this simple story to our lives. Now, please understand, everything I have said so far I believe is true. The gospel is at the core of what we believe. Our confessional doctrines express our hope of eternal life. But that is not what Jesus is stressing in this story. The very first verse that David read for us, verse 46, says that if there is a disconnect between what we confess and how we behave, Something is terribly wrong. That if you say you believe, if what you say you believe is out of sync with how you act, you need a wake-up call. That's why this story begins with that classic line. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but not do what I tell you to? This is a passage about doing. It is what we do. It is not just about what Christ has done, as important as that is. The very next verse, verse 47, says that this is about discipleship. Jesus is saying, here is what a wise person does. In fact, discipleship can be broken down into three simple steps. He says, I, I want to describe to you, first of all, someone who comes to me. Jeremiah 29 says, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Jesus said, come to me, all you who will labor and are burdened, and I will give you rest. It all starts with coming to Jesus in the first place. But then it goes on to say, someone who hears my words. In order to do that, you have to show up. You have to be in a position and a place where God can, in fact, speak to you. You have to be in the word. You have to be attending church and and Sunday school classes and Bible studies so that you're feasting on what Christ says. But then the third component is the one that's often missed. I'm talking about someone who comes to me, who hears my word, but also does my commands, who follows through. And the rest of the story, by the way, describes the foolish man who hears but doesn't do. Remember, folks, this little story is the last paragraph of the Sermon on the Mount, it, in, in, in many respects, is the summary of the whole sermon. And the sermon is filled, as you've heard for the last several weeks, about many do's and don'ts. Here's the way to behave, here's the way not to behave. Do these things, don't do those things. When I was growing up in the theological context in which I found myself, many preachers that I listened to, many books that I read, many... Theologians that I was attracted to would often make the comment that these things are undoable. They're not attainable. You can't do the Sermon on the Mount. Some people believed that if you do the things of the Sermon on the Mount says, that will give you a ticket to heaven. But we all know that that's not the case. Some of the people I listened to said, The Sermon on the uh, the Mount is so otherworldly, it's got to be intended for a future day. It, It has no relevance to today. And I actually believed that for about 20 minutes until I began to study and realize these are the words of Jesus. How dare I relegate this passage to another time. This is... About my life and Christ expects me to do these things they won't get me to heaven they are not the basis of my salvation I could never do them completely and adequately enough to earn salvation but because I'm a child of God he expects me to obey and so we need to take another pass on this little story familiar as it is and read carefully what verse 48 says this this man is building his house whose house is it it's his house and who's doing the building the man is no one's doing it for him it's his house and he's building it it's his life and he's developing it The passage says in verse 48, he dug deep and laid the foundation. Who's doing the digging? The man is. He's rolling up his sleeves. He's breaking a sweat. He knows that he's got to spend the time, the energy, and the effort to make sure that that foundation is well laid. No one can do it for him. And it says that He laid the foundation. Who's laying the foundation? He is. Because he knows unless he does, his house is gonna fall down. But I thought Christ was the foundation. I thought it was based upon what he did, not what we do. But this passage clearly teaches that this man had enough sense to break a sweat, dig deeply, and lay the foundation himself, and no one could do it for him. But in order to lay that foundation, he had to go down deeply and find the bedrock. There's a distinction between building the foundation and on what the foundation is laid. And this passage clearly teaches, which by the way, Matthew doesn't, but Luke does, there is a distinction between what you and I have to do to lay the foundation, understanding all the while that the bedrock, the cornerstone, is Christ. And By the way, for those of you who are theologically inclined and you wanna see other people who have made this Same comment, check out the Apostle Paul, who in 1 Corinthians 3 and Ephesians 2 at the end of the chapter uses the same metaphor. Apostle Paul has the gall to say, I am the master builder. I laid the foundation. He has the gall to say in Ephesians 2, the church is built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ, of course, being the chief cornerstone. Paul is not ashamed to admit that we have a part in the foundation of our lives. So here's the problem that Jesus is addressing in this passage. It's so easy to say, oh, he's my Savior. I made a commitment to follow him when I was a little boy, a little girl. I've been baptized. I accepted Christ. I opened my heart to the Savior's love. I I raised my hand in church or Sunday school, vacation Bible school, camp. I prayed the sinner's prayer. Someone led me through a prayer and my heart was warmed and I received Jesus. I walked the aisle. It was one and done. And now that I've done that, I've built the foundation and my life is built on Jesus Christ and it's as easy as that. When in fact, it's not as easy as that, folks. Once you have found the rock, once you have discovered who the bedrock is, it's your job and my job not only to give lip service to our acceptance of the the promises of God, but to dig deeply and to build a foundation and consciously work to make sure that that foundation is sure. And I believe, and if I end up being wrong, this is one of those things the Lord will just have to say, why did you tell them that? And I'll be corrected. But as near as I can tell, there are millions of Christians who are a child of God, they are forgiven, they have the Holy Spirit, they have the hope of eternal life, one day they'll stand before the Lord, and they will gain entrance into heaven, but their lives are a mess. Their productivity for the kingdom of God was short-circuited. The history of their lives was a litany of embarrassing episodes and missed opportunities and collapse and failure and disappointment when it could have been joy and fulfillment and really accomplishing something for God's kingdom. I do believe in the perseverance of the saints. I do believe in eternal security. I do believe that there are many, many people who make a childhood choice to follow Christ and that they are implanted with the Holy Spirit. And if they are not careful, they are led to believe, oh, it's okay now. Everything is fine. You're safe. You said the little words. You raised your hand. We wrote your your name in a Bible, and we gave it to you. This is your spiritual birthday. And folks, please understand, I am not diminishing those things at all because I am a product of of those activities. I did all of the things that I just listed, and I believe that that's when God began his work in me. Took away my sins and gave me the hope of eternal life. And I was once and for all forgiven of all of my sins. And I am a child of God and I am going to see my Savior face to face. And nobody can take that away from me, not even my own waywardness and sinfulness. My salvation is secure. But it's up to me to decide whether or not my life is going to be lived to its fullest that I'm going to be able to build the house of my life and dig deeply and have a foundation so that the rest of my life is lived at its fullest. That part's up to me. Every once in a while, for the last several months, I've taken a few moments out of a day. In fact, five minutes and 22 seconds, I can tell you. I watch a little video clip, a time lapse of the work and the progress that's going on downtown at the old Hudson's site. You know, you've heard about this, that eventually there's going to be a building built on that site that's going to rival the Rensen. The groundbreaking for that site was three and a half years ago. It's supposed to be completed in 2014, 2024, not too many years from now. But if you take a look at that video clip, take the time, check it out, and look at the progress. Three and a half years later, it looks like a hole in the ground. How much time have they taken to clear the site? to dig deeply, to create the context in which the building can be built upon, to do all of the work that's necessary so that when the building is finally built, it will stand up. And when I watch that video and I think, it's gonna take 100 years for them to finish. They haven't even come up to the street level yet. All that's sticking up out of the ground is a couple of elevator shafts, six or eight stories high, and that's it. How are they gonna finish it? Well, you know, you and I know the story. It takes the time and the energy and the effort and the planning and the hard work of laying the foundation and the rest of the superstructure is gonna go up pretty quickly once they get going, and so it is with life. At the end of this little story, Jesus says that the, the winds came and the waters came and the waves crashed against the house. The, the One who built his house upon the rock and who had built the foundation and had dug deeply and was confident and assured of who he was, that person's house stood still and remained. And you ask the question, and you read, why did it stay standing? It's very interesting. He, in Luke's version, doesn't say because it was built upon the rock, that's over in Matthew, in Luke's version, Because the house was well built. And who built the house? The man did. He dug down deeply to find the bedrock first. That's Christ. Then he dug and built a foundation and put effort and time into building that foundation so that when the rest of the house was built, it was much easier. And when the waves of life and the hurts and the disappointments and the tragedies of life came his way, he stood still. Well, this little story is at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. I believe the Sermon on the Mount tells us how to build that foundation. It's not talking about salvation. You can't earn that. You can build a foundation all you want not be a Christian, by the way, there are lots of people who do the things that the Sermon on the Mount tells them to do in an imperfect way, but they still put some effort into it, and their lives are pretty decent, they are productive, they do accomplish great things, and they look back on their lives and they say, I got to where I am because I did these things, lots of people who would say, I have done that, but they miss the bedrock. There are other people who get the bedrock right, but then don't build the foundation, and don't take care of themselves, and don't do the hard work of the spiritual disciplines that will make the best of their lives. We want to do both of those, and the Sermon on the Mount tells us how to do it. Once you have found Christ, once he becomes your savior and your redeemer and you're trusting him alone for your salvation, the Sermon on the Mount tells you how to build the foundation and how to build the rest of your life. Will you indulge me in a little review of what we've talked about the last several weeks? Well, you really have no choice started with the Beatitudes. Here here is what is true of a blessed person. The blessed person learns from day one that he brings nothing to the party, that he is absolutely dependent upon God and God's grace alone. He hungers and thirsts after righteousness. He learns to hate sin and he makes up his mind or her mind, I want to live like Jesus and I am committed and devoted to that reality he learns to, ex- to experience persecution. He's willing to take heat for being a believer. Folks, if you learned those things when you were a little boy or you were a little girl? You know you had a head start because those things were burned into your heart from childhood. Many of you who are here this morning who are much older can look back and say, Yeah, I had a great start. I had a great family. I was taught well. I came to church. I learned about the love and grace of Jesus. And I began to do the things and practice the things that I knew that I should do. And the practice of those things has stood, given me real confidence and has served me well. I got on the right track, and I stayed on the right track. The person who is on the receiving end of God's woe is self-centered, self-satisfied, doesn't need any help from anyone, a people pleaser. He's more concerned about what other people think about him rather than, am I pleasing to God? And he'll do an awful lot of things to put on a, a fake spiritual mask, hoping that people will think well of him or her. And that can be addictive. And that can set you on the path where the whole rest of your life, if you're not careful, you'll care more about what other people think than what God thinks. The love lessons of life that we talked about. Learning how to forgive. Learning how to turn the other cheek. Learning how to love your enemies. Learning how to look around and show mercy. Mercy. These are spiritual skills that are learned early on. They can only be done by the power of God, of course. But if the habits have been developed early on, then when you're older, they're a lot easier to fulfill. If you've gone down the wrong path for too long, you've developed habits that are hard to break. But if you commit yourself to building a foundation, your life will be rich and full of great things. Learning how to disagree with people without being obnoxious. The skill of a gentle response and gentle speech. Being thoughtful and generous. You remember the passage, give and it will be given back to you. Uh, Pressed down, shaken together, overflowing. It'll be brought back into your lap. Generosity, thoughtfulness. Start early in life. You know, from my perspective, speaking very practically, if you're a young person, even a child, got your first job, and it occurs to you, you know, how to be giving something to the Lord. There's a black box in the back. I know how to go online. I don't have much. In fact, I'm poor. And for those of people who are out of work and going through difficult times, I don't have much to give. But learn the habit and learn the discipline of being generous, of giving. When you do that when you're young and when you're old, making some good money, the habits have been developed. And the conviction that goes down way deep because the foundation has been laid is, I need to give because it's the right thing to do. It's what I was taught to do. The alternative is that you can turn out to be an old man, very rich and miserly and stingy and missing out on the joy of helping the kingdom of God to flourish because you are withholding the resources. This kind of thing happens early on. All of these disciplines. The discipline of prayer and interceding for other people. The discipline of studying your Bible and not waiting until you're 30 years old and then looking around and wonder. Every time I open my Bible, everybody flips to the passage. I don't even know where it is. I need tabs on the side of my Bible to find my place. You want to learn these disciplines early on. When the foundation is being built, memorize the scripture. Learning how to respond spiritually to a sermon, to a message. Finding your spiritual gift finding, hey, how does God use me? Am I a prayer warrior? Am I a behind-the-scenes kind of person? Am I a helper? Am I a leader? Maybe I'm a teacher. Maybe I'm just good with numbers, but I can serve the Lord in some way. And when they put an appeal out for helpers or workers, I'll sign up. Or you can be like a man that I met many, many years ago who said, I am sick and tired of the church. I've been burned out everywhere I've been, and I ain't doing nothing. How'd you like to hear that when you're a young pastor and one of your parishioners says that? You don't want to be that person. The foundation is laid in childhood. We learned last week about being fruitful. The tree is known by its fruit. How do you get to be a fruitful tree? Takes time, not gonna happen in the first year. You gotta make up your mind that you're gonna pay a price for being fruitful. By the way, if you're looking for a place just to start on this journey, I would recommend Psalm 1 Read Psalm 1 for a month. In the morning, and when you go to bed. In the morning, so that you set your mind in gear. At night, so that you give a little bit of self-reflection and 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 look at yourself, see the progress you made. Psalm 1, it says, "Don't hang around with the wrong people. Don't listen to the advice of people that you know are not godly. Don't practice their ways." but watch where you are and plant yourself like a tree next to a stream and dig your roots down deeply. And in time, you'll be fruitful. And that's a decision we make every day. And the decisions you make when you're younger, when you're a teenager, when you're a child, I can remember being six years old, sitting where you're sitting. Well, I wasn't here, but you know, where I I went to church, listening to the same kind of things. Oh, little boys, little girls, teenagers, go back to Psalm 1 and read it and apply it and do it. And here I am many years later standing up saying, little boys and girls, teenagers, young people, those of you who have gone off the rails for a long time, here are the foundational things to work in and to build into your life. You've got to roll up your sleeves. You've got to dig deeply. You've got to put those roots down, and they will pay off in the years to come. For many of you, you would say, I already know this. Without bragging, my life has been what it is because I did lay the foundation. I was taught in childhood. I did put those things into practice. And I learned how to live my Christian life. Not perfectly, of course, but many of the things that I heard about in childhood, I actually did. And that's paying off. And for some of you, regretfully, you would look back and say, I got so derailed. I was doing the wrong stuff. I got tied up with the wrong people. And now I have habits and memories and addictions and lack of disciplines and all kinds of things that I fight with every day Just because I wouldn't take the time early on To have the discipline to go in the right direction and not just hear what Jesus was saying, but actually do it And it's a lifelong process it never ends Don't ever quit don't ever quit on yourself Because God hasn't quit on you. He gave you the Holy Spirit and he's given you everything you need for life and godliness, the scripture says. So you keep on building that foundation, building that house, and found your life on Jesus Christ. So a few months ago, my brother finally sold his cottage. Didn't, doesn't look today like it did 50 years ago. Every year he went up, did a little more work, fixed it up inside and outside, expanded it, did some groundwork, beautiful trees, flowers, a driveway coming up the side of the hill to get to the top. It still didn't look to me like a place that was going to last very long. But my brother built his cottage to code. It wasn't just sitting on the sand. He dug deep. The foundation was laid and through all of the wind and the rain and the storms coming off Lake Michigan, that place has stood solid and firm and it is a beautiful testimony to not only a cottage, that was built and improved every year with hard work but it's a reminder that your life and my life can be built upon a solid foundation and we can do great things for God, let's pray Father we thank you first of all for the salvation that is ours that part is not of us at all, we we could do nothing to earn that, deserve that That's all on Christ. He died for us. He paid the penalty for our sins. He's the one that died and was buried and rose again, and it is our job merely to trust in that reality. But Lord, having said that, you reminded us today that now we have a foundation to build. Find the rock, then build the foundation upon that rock, and then build our lives day by day. Lord, you've given us everything we need to make it happen. Help us, Lord, not to just listen, but to do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
1: This has been a podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Trenton, Michigan. For more information, please visit us online at fpchurch.tv.